Here we are on a podcast. Nice. Another Where remote podcast. Are we 3,000 miles away from each other? 4,000? No. Like I feel like I'm 6,000 miles away from you. <laughs> not not far enough. <laughs> no. Someone's tired of the same thing every day, huh? <laughs> Bro, let me tell you what I'm tired of, upgrading Ember apps. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm actually going to be helping my brother here do that soon. We've been I've been pairing with him a little bit. Um it's cool, man. It's cool seeing someone working on like a you know a, a real production app that's like um, a real app. You know, I don't work on those anymore, but um, <laughs> it's pretty neat. Like, it's just so funny. Like the the design stuff, like coding and design and clean code versus like, oh, this is like maybe not how I would do this. Like, there's a route and it like hits like ten different endpoints because like there's all these different he he works on an app that does like data geo geo tracking for like bikes and and cars and stuff and the way his like node server works and it refreshes things every five minutes and like so he's a route that loads all this data and um it like he did it all at once in like a single blocking request at one point but it like took too long so he kind of does it in like pieces but there's like just a lot of code like in a route file like whereas like a vanilla app wouldn't have that but like it it's it like works and it does the job and it's like you can also just see like how that those decisions were made like when you follow the app and like everything that's going on and you're in that situation and you there was some good tweet about this recently but um well, what what you're saying reminds me a lot of sarah may's emberkoff talk where it's it's not about clean code or messy code it's it's livable code for sure yeah this is like perfect example of that exactly and like if you think about like he's a one-man show and he's got like four different services that he's working on at any given time and so like when you balance like what would it take to get a single model hook to look a certain way to make it like robust to fast boot and all that kind of stuff that's like so far down the priority list you know what i'm saying so it's kind of like yeah. it's it's nice to see that and to see like the areas in the app where I felt like Ember and Ember's primitives were like helpful in letting him just get his job done. And then the parts that he will talk about that are like hard to like do the data loading stuff or the modeling, like where you're going outside of like normal Ember data conventions or like where the abstractions like kind of fall down a little bit and you actually just want something lower level to get the job done right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it's pretty interesting, man. Um, um, so I need to help him upgrade anyways pretty soon, but nice. he, is he, he, is he like taking you to lunch or, or something? He, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But we had an interesting conversation in, our, in the inside Ember map slack, um, that was started by him actually, cause he was having slow build times with SAS and he was saying that was like such a good, he was like, I had put this off for so long, but, um, he, he was doing that investigative work and, and and like really cut down his build times because of um there's a couple issues like sas was watching all of node modules so you know it was like an include path option on like ember cli sas that was looking at all of node modules and it was like that was probably an instruction somewhere that was like oh i'm installing ember modal dialog and i need to like include the sas there but there are node modules. Oh, if you just include path node modules, you can import directly from it. But then you don't realize the the cost in terms of the build watchers and stuff. Yeah. 
Um, I can't remember everything else that. Do you remember everything else that was in that conversation that he did? I think um, there was some chat about like he was he was using um, the Google thing, Material Design, mm. and if like does that need to be compiled or mm. can you use like a pre-compiled version? And there was some good discussion about that. I remember. Right. So, right. I think the answer was that they ship it as SaaS, so it's good that your app compiles it. Yep. Very interesting stuff. Um, I know it seems like even in the React apps we've been working on, it seems like it's just inevitable that things don't work as smoothly or as fast as they do when you start a new app. Like, um, I'm working on my personal site, like I redesigned my personal site as a Gatsby site, and already it's like sometimes the Chrome when the tab will crash because like <laughs> hot reloading is like trying to do too much, and it's just you know it's it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot going on there compared to just a command R and a Rails app, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hot, hot reloading is is so far beyond just, um, hey, a file saved and, and sending something down a WebSocket that just says refresh the page. Yeah. It's like trying to rehydrate components. Also, too, it's like you as an app developer might just be doing something that doesn't play well with hot reloading. For Maybe sure. Global state that you need to be reset, but it well, doesn't because the hot reload can't doesn't know about that yeah there's even times where it you add a new hook and then i get an error that says the amount of hooks in the render cycle has changed you can't render this conditionally or like this might be a bug in react and Uh, then you refresh uh, and of course it's not a bug it's like as if your hook was (laughs) hidden inside of an if statement that you just flipped to true. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So then it's like, okay, so that's fine. I get that. That's like a super hard problem, but like, just, just don't do it then. Like don't, don't fake me out. You know, you need, you need an escape hatch here. You need a way to just say, uh, you know, I want live reloading, but not hot reloading. Yeah. I will say like, I guess you do kind of get used to some aspects of it. Like when I'm tweaking like CSS classes and like it just instantly changes. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like it's just really fast and doing that. Yeah. Um, when I was working on the Mirage docs, writing MDX markdown and just saving the file. And I mean, it's, it's as fast as you can save the file. You see the thing show up. That's so, crazy. Yeah. That's, but that's it, really cool. But it still would be nice to be able to toggle this because there are times where I'm doing those CSS tweaks or markdown, and there's other times where I'm doing app development. Right. And so, right. yeah, I, I would like to switch between those two. Right. Maybe if it knew like you were changing CSS classes or CSS styles or like just text content, it would just redo it. But then as soon as you go into JavaScript, like, yeah, just I mean, th- I don't even mind just saying like live reload true. Hot reload mm. false. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I guess, you know, let's think about state machines and <laughs> reload method, live, hot, whatever. Right, right. But uh, yeah, pretty interesting, man. So yeah, you've been upgrading apps? Yeah. Um, well, I've been, I've been trying to prep. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you about abstractions and why they're bad. <laughs> I've been uh, trying we to We love prep. abstractions, man. We, we, it takes... <laughs> You got to start a little egg timer when we start a new piece of code until we start pouring cement into every edifice, but <laughs> lock it down so we can make sure we never change it. <laughs> so right now I am chiseling out all that cement right now. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to prepare in a video for Ember Map, and I'm just playing with our nav, and we have like a really abstract nav. It's actually, it's actually you laugh, but it's actually really nice. We We have the way where you can... We have a contextual component where you render the nav and then you just say, you know, that that contextual component yields out 
a bunch of link components mm-hmm. and inside the the yield um you just say like link 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 and um, it shows that, up in the mobile nav and it shows up in the desktop nav yeah, that kind of it, thing right it takes care of everything like mobile is a pop-up menu um that like when you click the links the pop-up menu has to close mm-hmm. on on desktop i literally there. just built that in, in my react app okay so <laughs> i need to, you need to revert all of that right now um <laughs> one of the things i'm doing is i'm adding search to our header and uh-huh. while the header is really good with with links when you yeah. get content that doesn't fit the abstraction so yeah, like yeah. A, a search box uh it it's like really complicated and i kind of noticed like over the last two years we kind of have been like um breaking this abstraction this this header abstraction because we have like some prop drilling so one of the mm. things is we have a way to render the nav without showing a login menu a login option uh and i believe for fast boot no i think we did that i think there was like a day that like our heroku database like like just ate it and um our site was offline Mm. and we i just needed a way to render the header without any interactive links i see i see so i think i like prop drilled the like is showing login or something like that all the way through this this nav abstraction got you got you. and so so there were like cracks in the foundation like right right you know, right. this was kind of showing it but trying to add that search box it, it was just like okay like i can come up with a new abstraction for for handling search across these two environments mobile and desktop Mm. uh but i figured you know really like i i i just want to open my application template and see like if uh we're on mobile render a mobile nav and if we're in desktop render desktop nav for sure two two completely separate components and i kind of convinced myself of this because if you look at them they are two completely separate navigations 100 percent. yeah yeah you uh, yeah when you're starting something like that you just want to just start coding it like on its own like yep. without an abstraction yep yep so i've been so is I've that been, what you did did you like open the mobile nav and just go and just go there and start there like I, not no so i i did the yeah I, on the desktop i opened the desktop and started there but there was yeah. just there was a lot like these these components yeah i'm trying to tell like the quickest story here but there's a yeah, lot yeah. of abstraction here i got to a point today where i want to um I want to try like a two, a few different designs. I'm not really sure what the best design is here. Yeah. Um, and so I was just playing with it and I was, I was to get these designs working, these design tweaks, I was just prop drilling too much. Gotcha. And gotcha. so I, I started reverting it and you know, honestly it's not, it's, it's going to take me three hours to undo this. And that's mm-hmm. in like the grand scheme of things. That's not really that bad for, for, um, yeah, just rolling, yeah. rolling this back. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, abstractions are hard. On the flip side, it's funny, like, uh, I'm working on this little, uh, like, the mobile nav for my personal website, learning, like, React Spring and React uh, Reach, Reach, that modal dialogue. And um, what else am I using? Uh, I think that might be it. And it's, it's a Gatsby app. <clears throat> and just like we know from our Mirage site, like the Gatsby app has some constraints, some conventions around how it like renders components and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm not trying to make any crazy abstractions or anything. I'm just, just going, you know, just building it. Right. And it's like 
when you just build it, like React is particularly amenable to this because you can just build components. Like you can just create a new component in the file right there. You, you don't have to really think about it, which is great in the sense that you can just keep moving. But it's always like that. You get things working and then you stop and step back and like look at what you've made. And it's <laughs> like there's just so many different it's it's not abstracted not in the sense that it's not like a, a nav that yields like a, a nav dot link it's not abstracted in the sense that like styling animation linking concerns and layout concerns are all at the they're all mixed together so um if you're trying to understand something and you're looking at it it's like it's really hard because like why is there a separate um like toolbox like uh, let's say i call this thing a toolbox where you like you like click the nav and it like shows you like all the links um and they kind of like fade in and stuff and um some of those links go to like my social media like twitter and my youtube and then some of them go to like my projects page or my blog page which are like internal to the app and then for those i need like uh, a, a separate link component because if you click on it, you want to like dismiss the nav and then navigate to the thing. But if yep. you command click on it, you, you still want to have an href. So it's link. And if you command click, it opens the right page in the new tab. Right. Yes. Um, surprisingly complex for something that is like pretty basic. And like, I've done this a million times and it's still like a lot going on. Um, and so like, yeah, I want to like render a component with like a link to like slash projects and have all that logic there and so like it was easiest to make a new component that took like a two property with like two projects that that could be reused for both the href and the programmatic navigation using like the navigate helper so, so you but like if you're just looking at this thing you wouldn't know that like right right exactly exactly so so you're basically taking um like the link to or link component and you're just wrapping it in a similar API, but it also like dismisses the toolbox or whatever you call it. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. it's just, it's just very hard. Also like this thing happens to be uh, a link component from Gatsby, which is the reach UI link, reach router link wrapped in an animated uh, like function that turns it into an animated component so that uh, like react spring can work with it. And so if you're looking at this, you have to know a lot about what's going on. Also, like the when I did an internal link originally in my header, like the toolbox kind of appears, and then you click on a link, and I had this nice animate out thing as part of it, but like it would just go away, and it was like confusing. And that was I finally realized again that the header was re-rendering because every page had its own instance of layout. So then I had to add that like Gatsby layout plugin thing so that it's like an actual nested layout and it's like actually always rendered like the header is always rendered once and so that way if i'm navigating somewhere internal to the site i can first wait for the the, the toolbox to fit, like to animate out and then change pages uh, 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 so you wait you wait for it to go away and then you do the navigation i did that and i didn't like how it looked but um so now I just kind of do them at the same time. So it transitions immediately, but it's, you still get to see the animate out because otherwise if it's rendering a new component, like the thing just gets unrendered immediately. Like for animate out to work, it has to be a, like a persistent like component. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, just like an ember basically, like yep. 
uh, basically just like with, with Ember animated, it's like a similar idea, but like we never think about a lot of this kind of stuff in Ember because, um, the, the layout is like nested by default. All, all Ember apps have like a persistent nested layout. Um, and so, um, that was just another strange thing, but I just kind of like finished and I got it working well and it was great. Um, but then you step back and you're like, you have to understand a lot about what's moving with like Gatsby and the spring thing and reach router and um command click and like i know this now as i'm writing it but i won't remember in four weeks when i open this up like i won't remember why we did that like if we look at code in our mirage site there's going to be things like what is going on here and um it's just like i feel like there has to be a middle layer where you can like you can write abstractions in the sense that like it's like it's not the kind of abstractions that you're just trying to lock someone down as much as it is about explaining like this is here because of this, you know, yeah. like, a com- like a comment. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do this, but it's just crazy. Cause it's like, it's very easy to end up with like a 300 line react file and like, good luck trying to um, remember why you did things. Although like a lot of the tools are, are pretty common. And, and the more I work with react, um, the more comfortable I feel seeing certain patterns in the code over and over again. And you just kind of start to learn like, oh, you're splatting the prop, like you're splatting a bind here and it's like being passed a style. Okay, like this is coming from that and it's doing that thing. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed that when you said there's just so many concerns that are mixed. It's like layout, animation, navigation, all just kind of mixed at the same point. And and that's, you take three different things like that and it's going to make anything complicated. Yeah, and it's like, I want to be clear that like, I totally believe that React was correct in terms of the argument that like a component's um, markup and state are like linked, and so like having them conceptually as one thing, just like we do now in Ember, is like a good thing. Um, to me, those aren't like different concerns, uh, whereas like, or rather, they're like different aspects of a, of a concern at the same abstraction level. Yeah. Um, Whereas if you look at like what I wrote today, it's like when you see something that's like navigating to a route in your in your app and also like wrapping a div with an animated div so that it can receive style props, like those feel very different to me. And that's where it feels like you're going to see code and not understand why it's there. Like, it, yeah, that's that's like that's the part that that I have a hard time with. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting, but, uh, the spring stuff is pretty interesting, man. You like it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, I think it's hard. I'm, what I'm learning about a lot of the react libraries is that a lot of the stuff, like you read the docs or, or, or talks and stuff, they're, they're talking to people who have been in the react community for a while. So like, um, a lot of the docs for like the latest version of react spring, they kind of assume, you know, a lot about react or even a lot about um like the older version of this library because like if you just start reading from the top you're reading something about a transition thing and it's like very sparse and then you have to go to like the old renderless version of the spring guides and read the transition and there's like a lot more there and the new stuff is talking about how it's improving on the old api and how you can compose it with this hook and you're just like i just am trying to you know so that's that was a little frustrating but what was great about it was like it felt very much like learning d3 and that there's like a lot of examples and like man i can't tell you like this i know we've talked about this recently but like when i'm learning something new i want to get a win in my app with real code and i don't want to under i just don't have enough 
context to understand it. So I want to see the closest example to the kind of thing I'm trying to build, copy paste, and then go from there, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's like, I just can't, I can't say enough how much faster I learn that way than trying to read a bunch of stuff. Um, although I will say I do wish there was more docs in certain areas because like, it's kind of like leaving you hanging. Um, for me, it's like a mix, but the, man, the examples are just very, very helpful, you know? Um, yeah. It feels, it feels like these are, I mean, we've been talking about this, uh, kind of offline about the Mirage docs, but it feels like these are two different things. It's like the, the quick win getting started versus the like, okay, I'm ready to have a deeper understanding uh, of, of what this thing is doing. That's a great point. We should link to that Python talk because it was really good. Um, and, um, what is it like what everyone's what no one tells you about documentation something like that yes yeah and uh it was basically making the point that like yeah when you're in a mode of just looking for a reference the other if it's trying to teach you and and give you an understanding it's like working against you and i like i felt that you know yeah it was really good when writing when we were writing our docs too yeah it totally changed them so yeah for sure and now we have like a quick starts guide that's like just about um like getting you kind of up and running that quick win in the app we're going to have an examples page with like lots of examples of like, oh, you're trying to mock out an API endpoint that looks like this. Here's the code that does it. Um, like a cookbook area. Um, and like, I think those are really nice to have. Like I would have liked to have like a, even more examples in the spring thing and just ignore the docs and like seen found. I eventually found something after Googling and finding an issue where the author of the library was like, Oh, you don't need that. You could just do something like this. And it was like, it was like someone was asking about it and it was like, it was really perfect. And I wish I had just found that earlier, you know? Nice. But, um, it's pretty cool, man. I was like doing something actually pretty similar to like, uh, what I was trying to do with Ember animated where you like, you have like a staggered transition. Um, and, uh, I was like fading in the background and then I wanted to like, um, stagger in all the elements on on the nav and uh man it's really interesting like it's super low level like when i first started with react spring i was like all i want is like animated if like that's all i want you know it's so much easier um it's like i I just want something like that why wouldn't they put that in this library yeah it's a quick win it is yeah but um and so just to get some stuff like that like some of it is crazy what you're looking at you're just like how is this the api but you kind of keep struggling with it and um yeah it's basically like super low level so you just get like these animated values and they animate over time they actually like change and re-render outside of react but you don't really know that it's just like it's not like causing your component to re-render 60 times a second basically but conceptually this value that you get back from like a use spring hook is something that's like, let's say changing 60 times a second with a different value based on how you configure the spring. And then you can pass it in as like a prop to your components. If you kind of wrap them in like animated mixed, like higher order component thing. So like, let's say you had like a, a progress component that took like a percentage from zero to a hundred and yeah you could like wrap that to some state and like add a button that like increments that state and it would like change the ring right Mm -hmm. well what you can do is use a spring instead that goes from zero to a hundred and wrap your 
like donut component in like an animated thing to make an animated donut and like you don't have to know it at all like it just does it and then you pass in like percentage and then you pass in like you bind it to um like the the return uh animated value from spring and then it just like it will just animate like and it looks really really cool like it uses these really nice um like physics based curves and everything uh, motions that are derived from from springs and like it works on like your react components it works on like any like css style and so um it's pretty interesting man it's pretty pretty cool the, those like physics based motions you're talking about like does the library come with good defaults for easing and and momentum and anything in yeah that category so you don't even have easing because easing is a concept that's like doesn't apply with the spring it's like derived from the values of the spring same with duration um so there's no like bezier curves there's no there's nothing like that it's like the the parameters of the spring are like stiffness and tension and mass and you set those and then all of the other stuff is derived from that oh interesting this this kind of reminds me of something i I heard you say about ember animated where um we were talking about like duration which Mm -hmm. is in the library and you were saying that i think it was like apple doesn't use duration was it apple Um, yeah 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 that's where this all started Mm -hmm. oh okay Okay, yep. so they don't use duration because the the like force you use to push an object determines its duration. The duration exactly. isn't like some constant. It's derived, exactly. Yep. So this library is like gives you all that. It's awesome. It's it's seriously awesome. Like nice. it's, I, I'll wait until I show you this thing that I built. Yeah, like, I know. I'm I'm imagining the future nerd out. It's code. super yeah. cool. My my even my brother was impressed. Like he was like, <laughs> I can't believe there's a website, and he's like done like lots of really cool graphics programming. You know, nice. Um, but um, uh, yeah, those are derived. And the idea from the original Apple talk was like when a car stops. It's like almost percept- imperceptible when it actually reaches a full stop. There's no, it's kind of like this, if you were to push a can along the ground, it would just eventually come to a stop, but it's almost imperceptible like when it actually stops. And um, in iOS, I think this was like iOS 12 when this first came out, or maybe iOS 10, it was like built into the UI and the OS at a fundamental level so that, um, the idea being like nothing in the real world ever is really like stopping and starting in some sense. And so when you're like pulling down a menu or opening control center or opening an app and canceling and going back home, everything should be cancelable. Everything should feel fluid. Um, it's like fluid interface. I think that's kind of what it was called. And so that's one of the main ideas there. And, and, and they were basically saying that's like pretty opposed to the notion of like a fixed duration or a fixed easing curve. Um, so like, yeah, dude, it's, inc- I mean, it's incredible. Like what you get by default from the library, because you literally just use spring and you say you, you, what you pass into use spring is an object and it could be anything you want. So let's just say you want to, you want to animate a pro- like a X X from like 10 to 50. And so you just say use spring from object like X colon 10 to object X colon 50. Now you have an object that goes from 10 to 50 and it does it in a really nice looking way. So you could, you could then go to your animated div style equals opacity colon. And then, um, like spring dot X like that, that would be it like prop spring props dot X. And then that would would be it. And, um, and it would look amazing. And then like, dude, you can change the state. So like, this is where it gets really cool with, with the hook. So like you have some state 
and your spring goes from 10 to 50, but you could have some state that's like is open. And then inside of use spring, you could say like is open question mark from is 10 and two is 50. Otherwise from is 50 and two is 10. So like when you change, when you set state, you actually are re-rendering that hook is generating a new spring, but it works even if you interrupt it. It's crazy, man. So like you can be going from like 10 to 50 and stop it like you're at 30 let's say and then if you click that button that changes the state like it's gonna create a new spring that remembers where you were and comes back like smoothly Ah. so like i I made this menu thing that like like blurs out the background and then like adds all these elements but like it does it kind of more slowly when you first open it up but then when you click to dismiss it it all goes away and it's i'm just changing the actual spring values like the configuration of the spring like the mass and friction whether or not is open is true and like i didn't even know if i could do that and i just like was trying it and it was all kind of working i mean that's it was like it was pretty impressive man i was it took me a while to like learn how the pieces fit together but like i was really impressed by this library that's so cool so the the spring itself doesn't like i'm gonna tell me if i have this mental model right it doesn't really care what um your your would you say mass tension friction it doesn't care about those things it just has a spring and you give it new values and it animates that way i think you're getting a new spring like if you were to change the values um like if you use spring you get you get props back and it's an animated it's like animated property it's like an animated value and it's how the how the value changes over time does depend on the spring that you configure it's just that springs also have like a memory and you can also like dynamically change the spring or like create a new spring and somehow it all just kind of works like very yeah it's just crazy like you can use you can use like the state anywhere in in the code and it's like very surprising so like um yeah it's crazy man like you you i can do like a transitions array where i have like I want to fade in, like scale up and fade in eight different items. And um, I want to do that like with a trail of like 50 milliseconds. So the first one's going to come in and then it's going to wait 50 milliseconds, wait 50. So you have like a transitions array now. That's like eight different springs that are delayed from each other by 50 milliseconds. And then like the question is like, how do you apply them? Well, like, it's super low level like they're just changing values so like you could call like transitions.map and return like an item and customize it i wanted to do was like fade in this part of the template then this one then this one you can just do like transitions array zero dot props and splat it onto your thing transitions.one so like you know in ember animated i was kind of trying to like fade in this part and move this part like different parts of the page and it was hard if like an animated value was nested in another one. Yep. This is just like literally giving you an animated value and you can just put it anywhere in your JSX. It's like a really, it it's confusing, but like once you get it, you can literally do like whatever you want with it because it's, and it's hard to do basic things, but once you learn it, it's like, it's very, very powerful. It's very cool. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. And then I, it was, it was nice doing it with the reach dialogue because the dialogue is basically like a renderless component it's not it renders something but it's basically like a completely configurable um 
like low level like modal component that you can like add your mm-hmm. own styles to so i wanted it to be like full screen and like a blurred background to make it look like that kind of frosted glass on ios and like yeah it's pretty 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 neat to just have the portal stuff i didn't even have to learn anything about react portals it does that under the hood it does like trap focus and prevents the body from being scrollable when the modal's open full screen and all of that was taken care of for me but i was still able to use react spring to animate like different parts of the template so it was like it was pretty pretty amazing i mean that's awesome that's like an awesome composability story that you can take these two libraries and and tie them together yes yes i've a i i just before we wrap this up i so you talked about like how easing is derived from like the physics of of the spring are there like uh certain physical values of springs that just naturally look good oh yeah because you were asking about like the defaults and stuff so i know duration is derived and like it's not even a concept that you even work with i don't even know i don't know if they would say easing is derived from the spring or if easing as a concept doesn't even make sense when you're talking about a spring because easing is like this notion of like how to move how the values of a, of a curve changes over like time zero to time one. Yep, that um, that, that that makes sense. I mean, I, if I, I definitely buy the duration argument, so I yeah. think I can buy the easing argument there. Yeah, yeah. So I, either easing is also derived, or like it doesn't actually make sense to talk about easing. I can't remember. But back to your question about defaults, like the default spring is great. It's like if you go to the homepage of the site, that's like what all those are using. But then they have um, like they provide. So you can configure those three properties and it's actually pretty simple too. They have like an example on the, on the homepage and you can just like increase the tension to a hundred and see what happens as a result or the stiffness or whatever. But then they also have like six different like named springs. So they have like wobbly, stiff, molasses, slow, default, and then like um, something else. And so it's pretty cool. Like when I first did the fading in thing, it was like you could make it like really dramatic and then you actually go and use it. And I was like, <laughs> it's like if anyone ever shipped a website that did this, I would like scream at them. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you can just see someone like, Oh, this is so awesome. And it's like, they're going to be just looking at the menu items popping in and just be enraptured and enamored with how amazing it. No, they're going to be pissed off because they're trying to link somewhere and they're waiting on your slow as molasses animations to fade in a damn link. <laughs> I love it. But, um, yeah, I like, I picked, you know, kind of slow, for the fade in and kind of fast or stiff for the fade out. But then I ended up tweaking them myself and it was like, it was nice. It was nice that they had those and then that I could then tweak them further. So, um, yeah, man, composability, you know, real composability. This is like actual composability. This is not like, um, composing global singletons for no reason. Um, (laughs) we had a, we had an interesting conversation because the, the, this, this idea in reactive, like prop drilling and how to deal with it. And, uh, you know, folks were saying that like people abuse context. Um, I think Michael Jackson in particular was talking about this on Twitter. And, uh, we've also seen like Dan Abramov talk about this as well. Um, he had like a tweet or like a a GitHub issue from a couple of years ago, maybe talking about how this is like the kind of way they put it was like, this was one of the most underused children is like one of the most underused features of react and on the one hand i was like you know maybe they're coming from a place where like i could actually see how people could miss children like you're, you as a new react developer you could miss 
seeing a use for children. Mm-hmm. It made me appreciate yield and ember because it's like a, a first class concept that's called out. Whereas children is literally just another prop and um, it's obviously super important, but like it's, it's lost. Whereas like, I think I would, a lot of the ember teams we've worked on, like a lot of ember developers we've, we've paired with, you're going to see a lot of yield in, in an ember app, like a lot, like, yeah. you know, um, I mean, the default template is, is to like yield. So like when you make a new component, the default thing is, is to, to render children basically. Um, and that's not true with react unless you do it, uh, explicitly. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Ah, 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 ah. Okay. I follow now. So like, if you just make, if you like, Oh, let's extract this panel and like, you know, it's reusable. It's a card and it's going to take content. Um, it's a very natural way to do that in Ember where you like copy and paste this, you create a card.hbs file, you throw it in there and then you remove this content that's specific to the page and replace it with a curly curly yield. Like I think, I think a very early, a beginner Ember developer would do that. But to do that, I think what they were saying, why it's like one of the most underused kind of features is like, it would be if you were refactoring a complex template or a JSX function in, in React, you would just copy paste the, the, the JSX, the state, and put it into like a homepage card component. But it wouldn't be by default like a reusable component. It would just be, you know, a chunk of that that's pulled out. Yeah, I guess I guess too, like yield yield is probably more it's like a better word. It's like more sure. in, more intention revealing. Like for sure. I'm, I'm yielding back to the the thing that's invoking me. Um, yep. so I think that's a plus also too, uh, I know at Ember NYC, like a year ago, we did, uh, kind of like a, this, like show and tell where everyone got up and kind of showed what they were working on that's and right. all these components. And I think every single component or every single app that someone showed was, had a component that yielded out. So mm-hmm. there's there, I have no problem buying that. Like, this is something that, that Ember developers are, are all doing and they all understand. Right. That's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that people in Ember don't use yield enough or, or understand how to use it. It's like something you learn pretty early on. Maybe it comes from the fact that like one of the downsides in Ember is like, it's harder to make components than it is in React because in React you can just like grab it and throw in a function right there. But maybe one of the upsides is like when you're creating a component, it's going in like this global component directory. And so you're already thinking how to like reuse it. And again, there's like trade-offs there because like we make component specific. Sometimes you need yeah. like a structural component, you know. You're not you're not selling me. No, I mean <laughs> I, I'm not trying to sell you that it's a good thing that we have to always make global components. I'm saying maybe that is one of the reasons why when people make uh, components, uh, we, we're Ember, actually thinking they, about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bigger um, ask. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think um, it would be good to come up with some sort of term. So back to this this post from Michael, the video from Michael and also the, the post from Dan, I think it would be really good for the larger community to have agreed upon terms for like structural components, like components that you are extracting a component just uh, structurally. Like it's, it belongs in this one place on this one route. It's just that that whole routes component has become like really large and you just want to break it up. Um, Site header. And, yeah, site header. There's one site header, you know, dashboard. There's one dashboard. Um, the thing is, like, you pull it out and you make it a function. And, yeah, by default, like, you don't add any arguments to it because you add arguments to a function when it when it needs to 
change like when the when the things need to change um yes and you don't when you don't so like uh you know we've talked about this in some of our ember map series and you had a really good example that you brought up like when we first started kind of exploring this concept which was like the the console log you know we have console.log message because the message is what changes but like if you always had to write log and then you pass in a console and then a message as two arguments yeah or you're just you're writing like a print statement like you don't ever configure where the thing gets printed because it right. always gets printed to the screen like right. you wouldn't teach this as a, a programming concept to someone right. learning how print works you would say oh print your name and it shows up on the screen like that's all you need for a very long time right exactly so like in ember this comes up a lot with you know we have prop drilling as well where people move components extract components and then we we kind of the way we put it is we feel like one smell is you know you you see like user form and it's like uh first name equals first name last name equals last name email equals email and it's like why are you passing all of these things clearly this feels like if you wrote a function that did the same thing um and you like extract if you were like refactoring a big function um then that would be weird like to call a function with like all the same arguments and like the extracted function is literally only doing one thing and it's only used in that one spot um, yeah i mean yeah and and two we would just say like you're passing in all these values just passing the user object right but but not only that like the kind of the way we can show you that this is right is the question well would you rather would you ever pass in a first name from user one and a last name from user two and exactly. the answer there is always no, 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 no. That would be a bug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the other aspect of this conversation, which is like uh, whenever you add a, a, an argument to either a function or a new prop to a component, that's an affordance that you're giving other developers and yourself in a few weeks. So you're, it's a signal to them that um, here's a way it can be customized. So like when I see a link component from reach router and it takes a two, like I know that, that's meant to be used with like different twos, but it's not meant to be used with like different routers. Like the router is an ancestor link works under a rendered router. Like it doesn't take different routers. If there was a router arg that I had to pass in the singleton router that existed as an ancestor in my tree, that would be a bad API design because it's telling me something that's not like really true, which is that this thing is configurable. Like Mm -hmm. really it's meant for this one singleton router. So making it an argument would be stupid. Like that would be bad API design. Um, But like, that's kind of what some of these arguments were coming off as where it's like you have a single route page specific component, like a dashboard that renders like a sidebar for the dashboard in the main area. And um, you have this prop drilling problem. And so a way to solve it is by making it so that like the user who's rendering the dashboard um, renders like the two things that are only going to be the only things that are ever there. Basically, you're making like a yield and you're making children configurable, but they shouldn't be configurable. Um, so it was just kind of a weird thing. And, and and you were saying, you know, that it's like this confusion between like singleton values and like composability. And it's not about composability. Yeah. Yeah, and and just to like we've seen this in Ember. Like we've yeah. seen we've seen folks in Ember. I'm I'm going to talk about like why you shouldn't use context in, in Ember terms. Like we've seen mm-hmm. folks in Ember make services, yeah. put a bunch of functions on those services, and then inject those services everywhere. Right. Um, 
you know, it's like there was route action was a popular add on at right. one point, and that's kind of the same thing. Like that's right. what's going on there. Right. And right. and this is more. Um, this gets you in trouble because you're just you're you're basically like just poking holes every which way in your application. Right. And and you know getting access to everything. And so I think right. like there's the, there's no natural boundaries with the hierarchy. Yeah. And this is where you want to tell that composability story. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about this abstractly. Yeah. So, but that's how that's how I feel. I feel like <coughs> like the composition's story just show me the code and like would you rather work on an app where you can just like use auth and get the current user in any component that's like the global single user or one where like you're arranging different components just so to pass in a you like it just to me it's very very clear very quickly which app you'd rather work on right and this goes back to like the composability of our singleton like current user is a singleton in the context yeah. of most applications at least in the applications that we work on yeah 99 and, of them and yeah. so we we don't need that to be composable just like when we write console right. log we don't need to pass a screen because we right. know like we have a screen we don't need to right. configure that and, right and and so yeah i think when you have singletons you do want to lean towards um towards context towards services yeah because these things are global contexts uh okay that's use context to describe context um <laughs> they're global concerns global they're, concerns and this yeah. this fits well with your like your site header that you start putting into its own component like that site header is still a global concern so you don't have to yeah. pass things to it you can actually yeah. wrap that in a context and it's not right you're not abusing the system by doing right, that right right now if you have a bunch of like um i want to save a user and I'm going to make a context that has a bunch right. of save user functions. Now you kind of are abusing the system. Uh, For sure. This is where, again, it gets hard. We need to see the code. But but generally, that's where we see this this pattern kind of fall apart. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think when I was first learning React, um, how you wire up a provider that has its own state, that has its own methods that lets you encapsulate logic the way we would on an Ember service, um, and then give like uh, leaf components like access to those that state in, in those methods. It took me a little bit to understand that. Um, you like create context and then you create a new component that renders a provider and then children inside of it. And that gives you a new space to do all that. Um, and then you can like use context, the hook via the hook um, to like access it from different places. Once I learned that, I was like, oh, this is like basically now I have like an area that's kind of like a service to do stuff in. But I almost feel like React could offer some more sugar over that single case because context is more flexible. That's why it feels a little awkward because it's actually more flexible than Ember services are. They, you can have like multiple contexts. You can have like them scope to a sub tree of the component hierarchy. So that's like really cool. I actually haven't used that yet because I haven't worked on like any complicated like form that would need something other than local component state to manage that. Um, uh, but, um, but there could be, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that most legitimate uses of service of, of context in react apps is probably global, global contexts. Um, and then there's also like the really like the, the 5% or 10% where like you need it for like a subtree and it like works out beautifully. Like, the, you know, we've yeah. needed an Ember app before where we have like a local service. We wrote a little add on that did something like that. And that was, that was great. But like where that back 
that backlash is coming from, I'm guessing with Michael and Dan is like people using it in the way that people can abuse Ember services. But like, I almost feel like if there was uh, a blessed way to do a truly global singleton version of context and it was a more constrained API, it would let everyone talk about it um, with more clarity. Um, And it would be like, okay, you're writing an app that has auth and a current user signs in. Use the React, you know, global context here. Yes. And boom, that's it. And, you know, as long as current user is a global concern in your app, it makes sense to use global context. And um, that's it. And it's like, now if you're putting user save form actions for the settings page in a global context, you're like, that doesn't belong there because that's not a global, con- that's not a global concern. You're like writing route-specific page logic. You should just use composition or whatever right you should use this other stuff yeah that's a great point and also also it um it eliminates these whole like oh you introduce bugs because you had like this implicit uh you had this like an implicit context where you had current user yes and then you move not current user like you have some some context and then you move your component uh out of that context tree and you have this implicit bug where it goes away But in the, in the case of having like an actual true global singleton, you, you can never, yeah, yeah, it's you ne- like implicitly you always have a current user because yeah. implicitly like this is a global current user. Yes. Um, so you don't have like this like, oh, you should be more explicit because you can move this out of the tree. You can't yes. because it's a global. Yes, 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 exactly. And then maybe they would get, you know, dependency injection and then you'd be able to like stub out services and write tests for whole apps and like all sorts of beautiful things that we're used <laughs> to from Ember. Um, no, I do. Th- I, yeah, it's um, like React Context is like their version of dependency injection. That's that. That is what it is. Yeah, you know, maybe it's like a rule. Um, you could say like if you're working on a React app, like you should. I think we would be if we had context and it was at a global level. It's like one of the you know up before our app truly gets rendered. Um, right. Our like application component, whatever we're going to call it. Mm-hmm. maybe that's okay and we don't need to think much about that. But then if we ever get in a spot where we're seeing a bunch of like subtree contexts, yeah, we can pause and say like, okay, what, what are we doing here? Why do we need this? And is, right. there probably is a better answer through composition here. Right, right, right. For sure. No, from again, from what I've seen, the, app, the React apps I've looked at and like the Gatsby starters and all that stuff, usually there is like a separate place where that you're rendering your like app component. And like here's where you put all your providers and you have auth provider and router provider and all those things. And those are just as a little um, barrier for you to like keep you um, making sure that they're actually like rendered at the root. And therefore you can just assume that they're always going to be available for every component in your app, you know? Yeah. Um, all that to say, I just, I do want to be clear that like, like learning about composition and templates, that's kind of what we call it, like composition and templates, which is basically what Michael was talking about in this video, like composition in the render function, um, is like super, super important. That's like, that's like leveling up as an Ember developer. That's like as a UI developer, basically like understanding how to end up with the experience I had where the reach dialogue and the use spring stuff that was like composition and templates. That was a beautiful example of that. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, like renderless components, uh, having, uh, you know, uses that you hadn't foreseen yet and, and how to design things like that. All that stuff is super important, but um, you know, flexibility comes with a cost. And when you're just starting to build a new app, uh, if you feel pain from prop drilling, um, 
it's not that yeah composition is like solving a different problem than that yes yeah so, uh, composition i mean you can't i don't think you can build an spa today without without understanding this uh just yeah. even even things that are simple like pagination like it just it gets so much easier when you when you have these um components that compose and can yield right. state to each other so yeah right and you know it's good it's good that you a lot one good way to learn this is by like using good libraries and like learning oh wow like i didn't have to ask this library author how to make the modal fade in because they don't control fading at all they just gave me a react component and now i can go install a fading library and ask them how to fade a component but like i'm fading the modal component and it's a well-behaved component and so i can learn all these lessons here just like this so nice nice little smell test there yeah yeah but uh yeah man it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting i think um just back to our our whole kind of theme of this it's like i really do miss high level abstractions and there's there is part of me that's like um it's it's easy for me to go back and forth with like people could get a lot more done if they didn't have to piece all these parts together but on the other side it's like once you learn the tools you you feel kind of more powerful and like also i just knew that i was never going to be told no trying to make this this specific version which is basically like if you on the iphone if you pull down the top right and like the control center comes up i was kind of using that as inspiration and um i knew i was going to be able to do it like i knew i wasn't ever going to hit a spot where like the abstractions weren't going to be right um it was just a matter of like of finding them so it's kind of a cool feeling yeah Um, and like we were talking again about some effects stuff and and on twitter and and um oh yeah uh uh ben lesh who i follow on twitter who used to be in the ember community and has done some ember he's done some angular he's done some react he's been tweeting about using hooks recently and it's felt very similar to some of the stuff that we've been going through um also some folks who've been using mirage uh have been saying uh like talking about the async parts of react and like dealing with like async route handlers and 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 stuff like that state that lives kind of outside of like your render function and how, how to think about that anyways ben was saying like uh using some of the hooks to do what he was doing felt low level and i think he had some back and forth with someone maybe it was dan maybe it was someone else but he was basically saying like it feels like we're early like i get these pieces are here but like building something is very hard there's a world where you have the higher level abstractions built on this stuff that enables people to build more faster. But right now a lot of it feels like use is mounted ref. Like what the hell am I doing? Like seriously. (laughs) And somehow I keep making that damn hook. (laughs) Um, Hey, look, instead of typing this, you just type dot current. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Throw your hands up. I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't have to learn about objects. (laughs) Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, so it's been fun. We'll see. Um, let's see what else was I, uh, we had some, we, we have a Cypress quick startup with Mirage, which is pretty neat. So if you happen to be listening and you've tried Mirage JS before outside of Ember with Cypress, perhaps with Vue or React, um, we have a little guide up on the site, a quick start. And so, um, it's pretty cool. It's all, it's awesome. And just, you know, maybe this will be fixed before this is published. It, the guide was written for Vue, and it works really well with Vue. Um, we took a whole Vue app and and added this very simple Vue app, but still, mm-hmm. uh, I think someone 
read the view guide and tried to apply it to a React app and ran into issues. Mm. And so and so I have to we gotta sit down with that person and see what they're doing. Yeah. I think they just had some questions, but I do think it was working. Um it's just a Cypress command. I don't think it has to do with That's exactly the way I feel too. But maybe they're they're using some React stack that gotcha. um, there there was some funny stuff going on. Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't. It's pretty I crazy. There's a lot of moving parts there because, like, Cypress is rendering your app in a iframe and communicating via some message passing thing with when you're like running, like authoring JavaScript in your Cypress file and then it's running it in like a different. I don't know. It's crazy. It's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I'm. It it reminds me about a lot of the things that I love about Ember testing, and I feel like it. it yeah. is the next iteration of ember testing um, yeah interesting i i really That's like cool. it yeah it seems like it's it's for people who who think kind of like we do about testing um, yes yes a- absolutely high level i mean they even they even say like they use a the term end-to-end testing right a lot and i i think there's a a better version with mirage right. in the middle right um because right. end-to-end testing is, is really difficult but they right. do they give you all these like helpers to like um, you could like spin up a staging server and then hit that staging server with like a reset command. And that's not really how we use it. Like we'll, we'll use Mirage in there instead. Right. right. Um, but yeah, very high level. Like when I click this, I should see this. And then right. awesome, like seriously awesome APIs to, to make that happen. Syntax right. is, is a little strange, but yeah. Yeah. A little strange. They don't use async await. It's kind of like what Ember used to do. And I really like when Ember switched to async await, yes. but, um, the other thing is, like, I think we're going to have to write some guides in, in Mirage. I think it'll be fun to, we'll kind of get to flex our opinions a little bit. But, um, you know, Cypress, people who have been doing Cypress, I think, are used to, like, waiting for, like, named, um, like, requests and, like, aliasing a network request and, like, waiting for it to complete before moving on. In our minds, that's, like, very, that's, like, very leaking. It's, like, leaking implementation details into your test. Yeah, if, and, you, if you change the API request from, like, slash... Um, articles to slash notes should your app break yeah and it's like user don't care yeah Yeah, user doesn't care or even someone was like had it running against a a back end um and uh wanted to switch like one test to mirage and like that was just another example like the the test actually depended on a, a certain aspect of the network request and if they wanted to mock it out or something like so that's that shouldn't be that yeah it's like a brittle test you yeah. know um so um i think there's a good solution i think i think different as i think different of the commands like the cypress commands like getting a button and stuff uh will like retry a couple times and so if there's like a loading spinner wait for it to go away and assert that it's there so i think there's some good stuff there i but i think we will need to write about it and say like conceptually you will access mirage and modify the server in your test to like create resources but like the back and forth of the json is like a detail and that shouldn't be affecting your test you know yeah you know for some reason this this doesn't feel like yeah this is something we'll have to explain but this doesn't feel like hard hard bridge to cross it's not going to be right a a hard fought battle or whatever where with the, the the folks that shallow mount components yes that feels like okay we gotta we gotta we gear gotta, up yeah we're, yeah <laughs> we're going to war yeah. <laughs> yes i know yes I, I i know there's still people out there who who love unit testing 
all the things and, and, and yeah, I think it'll be fun to do some talks and, and, and writings about it. Yeah. Um, yes. Cause I'm, I'm, that's one of the, that's probably one of the things in software I'm like most convinced about. Like I'm skeptical about a lot of things, you know, and, and whether all these paradigms and all this stuff, but that's like, I'll die in that hill, man. I, I will die in that hill. Like I need, no matter what I'm writing, I'm going to stop everything I'm doing until I can write a test. That's like given three movies on the server. When I visit the homepage, I see three list items like that to me is like the only thing that matters. <laughs> I mean, why, why, why do you write tests to begin with? I mean, that's a good question. Um, and why do you like, what is like, why? That's a good question. Personally, it's cause I know how easy it is to screw things up. So like I'm thinking about, um, like my recipes app and, um, I just want to know, like, I like it because I can change my app and, and refactor it. And, and I mean, honestly, if I have to think about it, that question, like I love being able to merge a commit and, if the test passed, like CI redeploys my site and like, I don't have to think about it, dude, I haven't worked on so many parts of Ember map in like months. And like, I can, we can let like dependabot merge dependency updates and just redeploy it. And, and that's, that's amazing. So to me, that's like, that's having a regression suite is like for these kinds of UI tests. Now, again, we've talked about this before. Like I write lower level tests in Mirage that help drive design, but like for UI testing, uh, for like these UI apps, for me, it's the regression suite, man. It's got to be. Yeah, I mean, what what happened? Like, you okay? So you had said, I said, why do you write tests? And you had said something like, you don't want to screw things up, or you want the regressions. Like, who who pays the price when you screw things up? On that level, yeah, as a user, it's a user. So how should your yeah. test be written then? Yeah, like if you go back user. to what? Yeah, that's yeah. I, I think you can you can kind of like just if you start with why you write tests, you can very quickly get back to you want to write these high level tests these given these given these three movies when i visit this page i should see this so yeah i mean programmers we care about i was just watching this talk (coughs) that was like about uh, functional programming in 40 minutes and he kind of put this thing in a funny way programmers care about the code um and in functional programming like you don't have no side effects right like you've created the rules and constraints to the system to have like these peer functions and have no side effects but why do we get paid we get paid for side effects. Like the user only cares about side effects to the user. They're not actually even side effects. They're effects. The user literally only cares about the report being printed, the data being updated in the database, um, the pixels being rendered on the screen. Um, the effects are literally the only thing, um, that the user cares about. That's why we get paid, um, to make effects, to make software that produces effects. Um, so I thought that was interesting based on what you were just saying, which is like, who do we care about and the user and who's it matter for programmers care about the code because we're working on the code. And so it's easy for us to want to care about how it feels to work with the code and to want the code to be better and to write unit tests and stuff like that. But ultimately we're in the effects business. And so, <laughs> you know, that's, that's important too. And arguably that's uh, that's the, that is the thing from which all other important and valuable things derive. So um, that's why that, that suite is like the most important suite, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to dig into something you just said that I've been thinking about a, a bit recently. And, um, you know, I, I think there's like really, um, there's almost like two, there's like a separation here where you have like people that are building apps for users and people that are building, uh, libraries for developers. And I think when you're building a library that other developers are going to use, you mm-hmm. kind of find yourself in that like 
well, your users are other developers and they mm-hmm. care about the code. Right. And there's like this emphasis on on API design and the code. Mm. And this this tends to be like even like from a testing point of view, you're gonna you're gonna test like the actual code. So you're gonna mm-hmm. render like your components in a bunch of different states and make sure they all behave correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, where like on the the other side here, there's like people that are writing applications for mm-hmm. end users, and this is more mm-hmm. like these UI tests, these 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 effects that you're talking about. And I think a lot right. of times we look, we confuse the two, and I think um, people that are like celebrity programmers are more mm-hmm. on the library side, and so mm-hmm. I think app developers look at those libraries and say, "How are these libraries doing it?" Um, you know, they're writing reusable code. And so mm-hmm. my app needs to work like this. That's but. super interesting. I think that's a really, really good insight. It's it's easy to generalize lessons from a library space into your app, but they're actually very different beasts. You have two totally different users. One is like yeah. the user that's trying to print the report, and the other is like the user that's trying to compose a bunch of components. And, and yeah. you know, the way at the end of the day, you want to write things that make the job easier for the user, but right. but they're two totally different users. Like they're interacting with the software in two completely different ways. And that's yep. going to change the, the testing story, the composition story. That's Actually, let that, me rewind. Not really the composition story, but it's going to change the testing story and, and the way that the, the software is interacted with. The API sure. design. The, the way the composition changes is, is, that, is, is that your users do they need the thing to compose or not? If you're writing, you know, reach UI components, like you absolutely, that's like the most important concern. Um, yeah. And uh, if you're writing an app, most of the time that's not. Like your users most of the time are not composing parts of your application. Um, you know, maybe some really complex parts they are like a WYSIWYG something builder or something like that I, I was just thinking that like if you're if you're making some like front page yeah. style like website builder it's like oof you're you're, yeah. you're either in the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm not sure <laughs> but um no I think that's a really good point and I think um that's a super interesting point man because like who are the people who get elevated in tech a lot of times people who are um at writing libraries are good at API design are talking about all that stuff. And, um, what about the people who are good at building apps? Like that's a different, that's different, man. You know, I just had this thought, like if you're talking to me about some general tech truth, like, you know what, what's going to make me listen to you? If you have like a form library that you work on, because if you write forms, then that tells me you're actually building real apps for people who are like actually saving data. If you just show me, 10 different tutorials for react or whatever and they make a to-do app that doesn't save any data that doesn't interact with the back end that doesn't actually do anything it's like i I feel like that's such a good filter right like if if you have a form library or like you're talking to me about forms um like you're a real app developer you're an actual (laughs) app developer like you're actually making software for like human beings (laughs) you know what i mean yeah you know i it's 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 funny because i think that's like one conclusion of this but i don't i don't want to say that like oh library developers are just so um divorced from like app developer world that they don't know what they're talking about because i don't well, I think we're that, library developers, so hopefully, yeah. you know, there's some <laughs> salvation here. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that we can go back and forth. And I think that most yeah. library developers, I, didn't Ed say something about like how much harder it is to build a library? The, the, the yeah, graph the four, of complexity. The, the four, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so I think that if you can build a successful library, you, you, um, you certainly have the tool set to build a successful app. Yeah. But the hats you wear are different. And They're different. It's, it's also that, there are problems that you encounter building a really complex app that are not actually served by the same principles yes. that serve building a really composable library. Um, for example, like dependency injection or like I was talking about Rails. Like when you make a Rails app and you inst- install Devise, you get a global like current user helper. And like part of that is because as your app gets like really, really complex, like if everything remains as explicit and composable and flexible as possible, your shit becomes really hard to understand because everything is being passed around and takes a parameter, all this stuff, right? And so, it, it, like... Wait, wait. It's not that because everything's being passed around. It's because in order to avoid everything being passed around, you, you app developer, invent crazy new abstractions. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And that's, that's why true. it becomes hard to understand. Yeah, that, no, that's a good point. And so, yeah, someone who's building an app and reusing things and um yeah it's just it feels different to me like the kinds of problems that you run into are not obviously there's so much similarities that good strategies of how to make like reusable code is going to be useful but like they're just also just different things like yeah they're just different in a lot of ways i wonder i wonder if there's like it's like sorry just to sneak this in um I saw David uh, Korshard who created XState and he likes to talk about state machines on Twitter. It's like really, really interesting stuff. And someone was asking him about like a forms um, solution and and should you use this or that. And he was like kind of saying like, he kind of dismissed it and said something like, oh, you know, or you could just treat it like every other component in your system because like it's all about state and like state machines are a good way to model any state. And it's nothing special about forms. But then you look at like an app developer who is like building a complex app and like obviously forms in every app we've worked on, every consulting project, forms are their own beast to enough extent that they merit having their own area of the code, their own abstraction, even their own strategies for testing because of how complex they get. Um, So that's what I mean where like, the, yes, it's true. Like state machines might be a great way to model any kind of state. It's also true when something as complex as forms uh, are being uh, just growing in terms of how much they dominate your app, and you're going to need its own specific strategy um, to help even further, even more than something like a state machine would give you. you yeah, know? absolutely. And, and like as app developer has to have a, a different model here because forms on the apps we've worked on forms need to be consistent with like the branding and just the way they get rendered, but they also mm-hmm. need to, to have abstractions to make them right. configurable. Flexible. Because, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I'm going to render this form for this type of user, this form for this type of user. I also want to reuse all those same comp- components on like this totally other form and this other side of the system. Um, right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, you can't just say, Oh, you do it like any component because right. When I'm writing a link component in my app, like, Generally, there's only one way to render a link, and right. that's all. Like, I don't really have to put a lot of thought into that, right? Unless you're you wrote UI link to, yeah, with Sam Salkoff <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> then you have a lot of thought. What? Then you have a lot of thought. Into yeah, it. then you have a lot of thought. Yeah, and it only works if you have one or two models, not three. 
Hey, actually, that is not, I don't think I've ever had more than two models. So that is not, a, I mean, seriously, this might be like a good, good um, real world example of this, this is what we're yeah. talking about. But like, yeah, I don't have more than link twos with more than two models. So yeah, that's totally fine. Oh my goodness, man. That's funny. <laughs> we will have to make a video soon of like rewriting some of the, the, the link stuff with like modern octane render lists, like. Um, router service, all that stuff should be uh, easier. Yeah, uh, and to like part of going through some of these refactors that we kicked off the episode with, um, man, having the <laughs> having to be aware of what a component's tag name is, like component JS tag name is mm-hmm. just like total curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know, I really haven't been bitten by it that much today, but it's always like, oh, I got I got to go check that file and see if it's yeah. tagless or or what's in there. Uh, yeah so well we should wrap up but um by the time this comes out your video should be up um i think it'll be a free video and um we it was a pretty cool thing you did you you added a like a um infinity kind of loading uh thing to our video page on ember map ember map if you go to video you'll see our series up top which are like mostly paid videos and then below that you'll see all of our free videos and there's like a lot of them up till now we were only showing like 10 or something and um we use this load records component, which is based off of the work we did in storefront and lets you kind of just render in the template that like we need to load these 10 records. And then we wanted to make a scrolling thing and you had a really cool actually composition example where you were able to use um, like a scroll in view component that we had to say if scroll in view and show more is true, render the next load uh, records component and like iterate over that and just keep rendering other load record component with the page and offset set and that's a great example of composition right yeah and it was this was i i don't know if there's like you'll be able to really apply this to a lot of the the apps that you work on but it was definitely a situation where i have like this tricky tricky pagination and my instinct is to go off into javascript and start making a bunch of rays and maybe like computed properties and um getting all the pagination stuff done in JavaScript land because it's tricky. There's a, the, the scenarios that came up were tricky to deal with. And I was able mm-hmm. to do everything in the template. Um, and usually, usually when someone says I was able to do everything in the template, I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> there's just going to be a bazillion helpers all over the place. Yeah. It could be abused. It could be yeah. abused, but, but, uh, but, but 10% I felt like of the time when they say that you're like, they might've nailed something here because you know that you have some guarantees maybe that yeah. you wouldn't if it was just some imperative JavaScript code. Right, and that's that's how I felt in this video. And I really wanted to force myself to not go into JavaScript and do it all in the template. And I, I'm pretty happy with the result. I that's think I awesome. did this like two years ago and I went off into JavaScript to solve a similar problem. Mm-hmm. And that that is already showing cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'm, I'm... You leveled up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. I feel like like uh, a new way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. There was definitely stuff in this video that before I started shooting it, I, I wasn't even aware of. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's that's very cool. One. Yeah, that's great. I yeah. can't wait to watch it. So, yeah, if you want to check that out, head over to Ember Map uh, after after this. It should be probably one of the earliest new videos that we have. Yeah, yeah, it will be out next week. Cool, nice. 
All right, everyone. I guess that wraps it up. Uh, goodbye from sunny Florida, man. It's uh, it's like seventy five degrees here. I've been like coding out back and like just watching the dog run around. And I know it's not the same in New York right now. No, it's uh, four seventeen in the afternoon right now, and it is dark out. <laughs> this is all natural light. All on this is all all natural right here. Yeah. <laughs> That's depressing. Well, get one of those vitamin D lights. You know, maybe we can program it. Get a React programmable vitamin D light for for the winter months in New York. And we'll have a use effect bug, and it'll just be like flickering, and we'll get vitamin D overload. And we'll, and then, yeah, you know, we'll die from vitamin D overdose. <laughs> and we'll get to blame React. We'll get to sue React for it. No, 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 no. See, React is just going to tell us that we weren't using the right hook. And we didn't have the dependencies right. And we weren't thinking about this as a side effect of state. So, No, they're going to say that it, they're just a view library. And that was a, state con- that was like ah, a, that was a separate concern. There, so. there you go. All right. Before this gets any worse, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for uh, joining us, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Bye.